Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University. And here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to interview number 10 in our regular series of Meet the Education Researcher podcasts. My name is Neil Selwyn and I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. So the aim of these recordings is simple. We're going to spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Amanda Heffernan, a newly minted lecturer in the faculty. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Neil. So there's heaps to talk about, but first I want to give you an opportunity to explain yourself. So your faculty profile describes you as working in the area of educational leadership. Now, the label of education leadership can hide a multitude of sins. I mean, what is it exactly about education leadership that you're really interested in? Okay, so um, yeah, education leadership means different things for different people, I suppose. Um, In my... um, particular research focus, I look at um, leadership in terms of policy enactment at the moment. So um, my PhD research focused on uh, principles, um, understanding, enacting, um, and I guess um, filtering policies that were around school improvement processes. And what I suppose I'm interested in moving forward is looking at that at at a broader picture, but also um, looking at some of the wider um, issues that impact upon leaders around well-being, um, workload, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so nothing about teaching and learning and effectiveness. So I guess <laughs> you're taking a more critical stance. I am, that. yes. So how does that work? Because when I think of educational leadership, I think of it as a really bland field with men in suits in their 50s. How does the critical stuff and the educational leadership come together? Is it wel- welcomed with open arms or...? In the, um, I suppose in the circles that I run in, it is. So um, my PhD supervisors uh, work in that space. Um, They directed me to certain readings at the beginning. So I used Foucault, for example, as my um, part of my theoretical framework to understand um, the disciplining powers of policies, um, power and that sort of thing. Um, So it's not necessarily that 10 best steps to be the perfect leader kind of approach. Um, But for me, it's interesting because I'm interested in that deep understanding of how things impact upon people and how people interact with each other. So are education leaders interested in that kind of stuff? Well, I think they are. Um, It's my opinion is that research is all about how we translate it um, and how we make it relevant to people, different audiences. So um, one of the things that uh, I guess comes out of my work is around wellbeing for leaders, um, workload, impact, um, stress, longevity, sustainability. And um, although I don't necessarily say, as Foucault says, um, you know, that that yeah, is yeah. really relevant for principles. Well, I was going to ask you about theory. Where does theory come into all of this? Because as soon as you said policy enactment, mm-hmm. to me, that kind of triggers a whole bunch of bells. And then we've got Foucault. I mean, what yeah. theories were you drawing on in the PhD to really make sense of your principles experiences? My theoretical framework. I suppose, was um, a, a multi-layered post-structural approach. I'm sure there's people that are cringing right now listening to that. No, that sounds, um, sounds very plausible. <laughs> so um, I used Foucault as sort of an individual sense looking at people's responses to bigger system requirements. To understand those system requirements, I used Leotard's performativity okay. um, because that was sort of the, the world that those principles were working in. So um, I kind of got a big picture system overview and then I was able to um, to go down into more depth with um, the Foucault discipline discourse kind of subjectivity stuff. Uh, So Foucault, much used, often useful, but surely there are limits to applying a 20th century French philosopher to the context of 21st century schools in Queensland. Yeah, I think there certainly are. Um, And I suppose that's where... um, having done a PhD is really great because I have this 
wealth of data that I can then go back and look at with other lenses. So starting to look at rather than deconstructing things, possibly reconstructing things mm. and finding solutions or ways forward. Um, so working with some people and I'm still trying to get my head around um, assessment um, theory and, and that's sort of been another way to review the data with a different lens. Yeah, I love the idea of being able to kind of redo a project or redo a thesis a second time around through a completely different theoretical lens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's almost like starting a whole new project, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know the data really well, but not necessarily through that that sort of point of view. So it's really interesting. So coming from a British perspective, I'm kind of Stephen Ball is the name that kind of yes. rings any bells. <laughs> so, I mean, how did you kind of work with those sorts of people? So not kind of 20th century dead white yep. philosophers. <laughs> Those old guys. Um, so Stephen Ball was a, is a huge influence on my work um, and the people that he works with as well. So um, Meg Maguire in particular is another one. Um, and I really took up their notion of policy enactment. Mm. So they look at um, it's not about uh, policy implementation, which is kind of a cut and dry assumption. Um, some people think that um, principles can just do what the policy yeah, says. Yeah. So that enactment then takes it to the next level of contextualising things, having to make decisions and choices and um, it being quite a movable, I guess, feast of decisions that principals have to make. Yeah, so how schools do policy. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Rather than policies not being done to schools. Yes. So I'm mean, guessing intrinsically linked to theory is reading and I'm always after tips and I've got a kind of fear of missing out. So I mean, who are you <laughs> reading at the moment to take this forward? And more importantly, what are you getting from that reading? I'm at the point now having um, finished the, the thesis and starting to look forward, I think I have 38 things on my to-do list at the moment. So I'm uh, <laughs> Yeah, having to work out, um, to be realistic, I suppose, about not trying to read too much and do too much. So I'm reading with specific tasks or um, goals in mind. So yeah. one thing that I'm working towards is um, there's a summit in November coming up around uh, reimagining education for democracy. And Michael Apple is one of the yeah. key people coming from America for that. Is he coming to Melbourne for that? Um, he's coming to Ipswich in Queensland, actually. Oh, so, the last time he was yeah. in Melbourne, I think he got banned by the Department of Education oh, for speaking. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all a bit of a controversy, <laughs> okay. so I can see why you'd go to Ipswich. But. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so um, I'm looking at uh, school vision work in particular, mm. and um, I don't have a huge, I suppose, grasp on that notion of democratic schooling, and that's what I'm sort of reading at the moment. Um, so who's coming up? Uh, what names are coming up has been good in that area? Um, it's it's probably too early to really <laughs> to know at the moment. But you um, don't want to stand up in front of Michael Apple and look like no, a, you that's done your exactly reading. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one really interesting um, paper that I just read was by Helen Gunter and Stephen Courtney, mm. um, looking at whether visioning is still a kind of uh, collaborative process or if it's just another way to impose um, a certain approach in schools. And so that's really reframed a lot of what I've been thinking around. Yeah, yeah. And so what about reading more critically around the wellbeing area? Because that's another kind of literature area that you always think has been really flaky. But Yeah, yeah. There's a, a really big study and the name of the author escapes me right now, the researcher, but um, Principles Wellbeing Survey. So it's oh, a yeah. longitudinal um, survey that has been happening for quite some time. So there's a lot of implications coming out of that. Um, but again, it, it's just one of the many things I'm trying to <laughs> to pick up on. So No, no, that's good. I mean, reading focused with a reason, and as you say. So you've got 38 things that's on the go. <laughs> um, I'm really interested. I mean, what, what are you actually doing at the moment? What is keeping you busy? One main thing for me is looking at what I will do out of my thesis. Mm. So I've had a couple of papers published, um, and I'm looking at um, working on a book proposal at the moment for um, to, to sort of turn the thesis into a book. Where are you pitching it to? Um, 
pitching it to Springer, there's a, a, a series called um, Theory and Educational Leadership that's oh, yeah. Richard Nishi and Scott Ecott's. Right. Um, so an edited kind of series. Yes, yeah, and I think it will fit quite nicely in there. Um, one of the, the key things from my um, examination reports was my use of theory, and so I think there's kind of a nice link to the... Mm to the series there. So how are you changing it from the thesis to the book? Because presumably they're going to be very different things. Yeah, and that's that's been a really interesting process. So my PhD supervisor initially said, um, keep the, the final product in mind while you're writing the thesis. So sort of try and make it a little bit easier than it may have been otherwise to turn it into a book. Um, and so really, as far as I can tell, it's about um, having a really clear rationale for why um, the book is useful to leaders and to, to researchers. And also just um, it's that no one needs to know my methodology in yeah, that's right, <laughs> quite yes. the same amount of detail <laughs> as they did for the thesis. So, yeah, rethinking, I guess, the, the contents in a little bit of a way. But for me, um, I was quite lucky that it flows quite nicely into what the book could be. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, have you got anything coming up on the horizon apart from kind of trying to write this 80,000-word book? Have you got proposals or just conferences that you've got? On? Yeah, so um, we've just put in a couple of submissions to AERA, which oh, yeah. would be my yep. first time. And which I think, is in New York. Yes. So everyone I know wants to go because everyone mm. wants to go to New York. Um, so I'm looking at an educational leadership um, symposium there, but also a higher education one because I do some work in that space. Um, so that's an incredibly difficult conference to get into. They've got a really high rejection is. rate, haven't yes, they? Yes. Yeah. So I'm um, ho hopefully optimistic. <laughs> you said we. Is that you and people um, that you work with before? Yeah. So I've my husband actually works in the higher ed space as well. So we do a lot of writing together um, and that's sort of starting to be published at the moment. We've mm. got a few papers coming out soon. So does he have any tips and hints how to get into AERA? No, it's his first time. Oh, okay, We're right. both just <laughs> crossing our fingers. Yeah, well, you know, you never know. <laughs> you never know, yeah. Um, beyond that, um, I attend AARE every year. Okay, yeah. um, and so I have a symposium um, going in there as well, looking at uh, metaphors of leadership. Um, so reimagining, um, we've called it alternative ways for leading. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Um, working on a couple of um, edited books and um, special issues. So there's a lot of um, really interesting stuff happening and I think that's the tricky part for a very early career researcher is you want to say yes to everything yeah. um, and it's all exciting but it's just um, having to be a bit realistic, I suppose, about yeah. what I can do. So have you managed to – you mentioned AARE, the Australian yes. Education Research Conference. Have you managed to find a kind of niche that you come back to every year and you kind of got your people? I have, yeah. Um, some people had suggested when I first started going to either just go to anything that was interesting yeah. um, and the other advice I got was to pick a SIG and stick with it. Um, so I really stick with um, the politics and policy SIG, which I find fascinating, which Excellent. I know other people might not. Yeah. Um, but the educational leadership SIG is also a really strong one and a lot of Monash people um, are heavily involved in that. So that is actually a really nice way to get to know some of my new colleagues Yeah, as well. and also you get to know the same people and you get to the same citations and it's a yes. kind of community. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're actually, um, it's a really interesting group because it's not groupthink. There's a lot of quite rigorous discussion and, and challenging um, of okay. the ideas, right. which is nice. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So, I mean, I'm just also interested in the longer, longer term. Yep. All those things aside, once they're all done, what are you going to do next? What's the big picture okay. idea? What's cooking? Probably building upon my PhD research, um, particularly in terms of principles of well-being, um, workload and uh, policy agenda, I suppose. Um, what I'm really interested in is 
this is also born from my own background, I suppose, um, principals in hard-to-staff schools, they call them. So um, it might be disadvantaged schools, it might be rural or remote schools, looking at um, what makes people come to those areas, what makes them stay, and what could possibly make them stay a little bit longer. So you say from your own background, so your biography is... Um, So I was a school principal Ah, um, Yeah, in rural and remote areas. So um, I saw, and I was part of, I cringe to say, um, that pretty frequent turnover of leadership in schools. Um, And it's only as time has gone on and I've done more reading that I've realised the impact of that um, and how significant it really is. So trying to find ways to approach that as a bigger problem is my very long-term plan. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. I guess I've got my final soul-searching question is then why on earth are you doing education research? If I was a school principal, I'd be sticking at being the school principal. That's a very kind of (laughs) high-status, laudable career. What is it about education research that you're kind of attracted to? Why why are you doing this? Um, I love it. I think it's um, it's a really, I feel like it's a bit of a privilege to be able to get really in-depth into topics. Um, as a principal, I tried to do my PhD um, and it was very difficult <laughs> to find the balance. Um, so I feel like we're very lucky to have the time and the capacity to be able to um, think deeply about these things that we can then translate and try to make things better for people in those schools and the students and the communities. But I mean, that's the really tricky part. I mean, how, uh, although you're kind of quite early on in your career, how are you finding it in terms of translating it and making a difference and kind of giving back? Obviously, that's the long-term goal. Um, and that's partly what I would like to be doing um, with my PhD research is finding a way to actually make that make a difference mm. to people. Um, and so one piece of advice I actually got really early on was for every, they just gave an arbitrary number probably, but for every two academic publications, do something in a professional sense. So yeah, whether yeah, that's yeah. for a teacher's union journal or, um, you know, something that school teachers and principals will access. Um, and also I'm trying to get better at blogging, um, which I'm, I have a really bad habit of starting a blog and then writing two posts and never yeah, coming yeah. back to it. So, but I feel like the people that are really great at being consistent with that sort of stuff, um, their work is making a difference to people because they can access it. There's no paywalls. It's written in, you know, those accessible kind of ways. Um, So that's an idea that I would like to be able to do. And also in terms of um, kind of early career research and education research, there's some really useful blogs around in terms of Pat Thompson and the Thesis Whisperer and Ingemi, all those people. I mean, have you got any tips in terms of stuff you follow that in that, in that direction? Um, So I, Pat Thompson's blog was just invaluable as a, a PhD student. And every time I sort of got to something because I was an external student part-time. So oh, yeah, yeah. Um, every time I got to something I wasn't sure about, I would just Google like Pat Thompson, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was always an answer or always somewhere else to look. So um, that's something that I do try to, to pass on to future mm. research students. It's a very generous thing for people like that to be doing. It as is, well. yeah, because it takes so much time Absolutely, and they're yeah. so consistent with their posts and, um, and the, yeah, they're but they're actually those people in particular are just such generous mm. scholars as well. Um, Pat Thompson came out to my last university as a visiting scholar, okay. um, and she met with all of us, and she was just really, really generous and, and lovely. Yeah. And do you tweet? Yes, I do tweet. Is it useful? Probably too much. <laughs> um, yeah, I find it really useful. Um, I 
uh, there's a few interesting people. Um, Naomi Barnes is an Australian researcher who um, she does a bit of um, scholar activism in a sense and mm. she um, does this thing that I've tried to pick up on of live tweeting her reading of papers as a way of breaking down oh, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of barrier to, to information. And there's um, the shut up and write. Shut up and write, yeah, is really actually really useful. So having that time where you know you have to just be quiet and actually do some writing or editing or whatever, um, that focus idea is really, really good. But just meeting new academics and and new people that you might not otherwise get to yeah, have yeah. conversations with um, is what I love about Twitter. There's Perfect. lots to not love about Twitter. Oh, of but, course, yes. <laughs> but I'm a, I think it's a positive thing. Excellent. So what's your Twitter handle? Chalk hands. Chalk hands. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Excellent. Well, good luck with it all. Good luck with the seven books and the 38 Thank you. tasks. <laughs> Thank you so much. No worries.